Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creative Creators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, and I'll be interviewing some of my favorite creators in comics about specific runs, graphic novels, or series, looking for their insights on the inspirations behind the work and ideas readers may have missed. Today, I'm excited to welcome Lonnie Nadler, writer of Black Stars Above. Let me stop myself right there and say, did I pronounce that right? Really would have been good pre-recording <laughs> material to have covered. Uh, you, it's the last name is Nadler, but everyone says Nadler. So, Lonnie Nadler. No, my apologies, my mistake. Oh, please don't. It, it it's not a big deal at all. I like. Doesn't I never correct. Yeah. No, I never even correct people when they <laughs> say it that way. Yeah, I'm Dave <laughs> Busing, and I get a lot. Uh, we get a lot of busings in our family. Mm. Um, I had a gym teacher in high school who went busing. Uh, which or, or beasting and stuff. It was just like it was all over the map. So that that I bothered me more. But the the general mispronunciation, I usually don't have a problem with. But yeah, we're not going to be talking about last names. We're going to talk about Black Stars Above, uh, a really cool five issue Vault comic series that you have out, uh, coming out in trade soon. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about this work because it is a very unique insular kind of horror comic. It is. I mean, I think even describing it as a horror comic sets expectations that this book is is working sometimes around, sometimes against, sometimes subverting. Right, all of that stuff. Let me let me kick off by asking two parts: How did this story come to be, and how do you pitch a story like Black Stars Above that is sort of hard to encapsulate? Um. Yeah, both. Uh, I mean, the first one's easy to answer. Second one, not so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, it came to be. I was. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big genre fan in general, and that's just sort of um, the area that most of my work uh, finds its way toward, no matter how it starts. Uh, this one, I kind of knew the tone and the mood, and had some of the imagery before I knew anything else. And I was reading. A, uh, a book by Margaret Atwood that's uh, a nonfiction book called Survival that's um, mm -hmm. very briefly just a, a, her survey of what links Canadian literature together and reading that sort of put this image in my mind of a young fur trapper going through the woods with you know this mysterious package and then uh, me being such a like genre having permeated my brain uh, there were these like black stars there that um, were sort of uh, encroaching upon her and whatever her journey was so that was really the the seed of the idea and then from there i i did um i love research and i love history so i did like a year's worth of research um mm. into the history of the fur trade and and what life was like at the time especially for the metis people so uh, the story just sort of you know kept growing and growing from there uh, as for pitching it once i had a decent idea what it was i sort of just wrote up a one one to two page pitch that was so far from what the book ended up being. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I pitched it as something like really dumb, like, um, oh God, I wish I remembered exactly what it was, but it was something stupid. Like we're putting Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games in the world of At the Mountains of Madness. Um, <laughs> and like, sure. I've never yeah. read the Hunger Games. I've never seen the <laughs> movies. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about it, <laughs> um, but that's just kind of the game you have to play sometimes when you're pitching is uh, you, the publisher needs to know that they're getting something that they can sell and that they can market. That's, that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing for them. They might love a story, but if they don't think there's a market for it, they're not going to take it. Um, and I'm still 
learning that uh, because my stories, like you say, sort of defy genre sometimes. Um, so like you, it's been a, it's been a game of tricking people into letting me tell stories. And then once they approve yeah. it, I, uh, I don't do what I told them I was going to do. <laughs> and you're at the story you meant to all along. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's funny. It is. I've in talking to a, a handful of creators now, it's definitely like that sort of read if you like, like approach that you have to take in, in pitching and blurbs. But then obviously like once you get out of that, you want to do your own thing, right? Cause it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a good story. It wouldn't be a good comic, a new comic. If it was like, Oh, this is just a, a ripoff of something else. Right. So I understand it as a reference point, but obviously it's, it's, limiting i think in what you can do totally yeah especially i guess if you haven't read the hunger games then it's <laughs> it's really limited <laughs> yeah it was just kind of like you got to tell them too it's like it's not just that it can, it's a, a mix of two things it's that it's got to be two popular things mm -hmm. so they know that when they go to a comic book shop and the comic book shop is like well how the hell do i sell this to my uh, customers it's like well do they like the hunger games uh then they can read this book you know it's not yeah. like an esoteric mix of did you like Zulawski's possession and ingmar bergman's persona because this uh -huh. is the mix of those two things because you know most people and, and, and that one person raises their hand right yeah that's me right <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm the one yeah. audience member this was made for <laughs> uh so you gotta just and, you know, stories at the end of the day, as much as I write them for myself, they are for an audience. So it's, it's good to like, even though I wasn't trying to make the Hunger Games whatsoever, just having something in, in mind of it has to be somewhat entertaining or at least that the reader has to get something out of it. Uh, maybe sure. Entertaining is not the right word for my work, but. Well, no, I think there's I think there's an entertainment to this. Um, it, it's definitely not. There's more. It's more about tone. It's more about atmosphere. I think, um, it, like you mentioned, the story set in Canada during the the late 1800s. What was it about? And you said you did like years worth of research, which is fascinating. What was it about the setting and an approach that grabbed your interest? Is it something that you had researched previously, or was this like, you know, relatively new to you and you just went all in? Um, so I I'm from Canada and growing up, part of our history, <clears throat> part of our history classes, we have to learn about the fur trade uh, because that's really like the foundation of our, our, of what is now known as Canada. And mm -hmm. so it's always been something that's fascinated me. But once I started researching, it was kind of uh, like rediscovering all those things that I'd learned in, uh, in school and, and remembering why I liked them. And, you know, the fur trade is a, is a, a 200 year venture uh, about. And so there's a lot of time within that that it could have taken place in and i specifically chose 1887 because the fur trade was largely completely dead at that point mm -hmm. um and it was a big time of transition for the country and for um for citizens of canada for those who were indigenous to the lands and for those who uh, had come here from either france or england um, so it was like a lot of turmoil and, and it was sort of like a nation in between being uh, not sovereign and then finding out what it was and uh, exploiting the people who had been there. So it was just sort of this, it matched with all the themes I wanted to explore in terms of being a place of transition uh, for the country. Um, and yeah, that, that was largely it. And, and it had to be after um, 
Louis Louis Riel was hanged uh, for his crimes. So um, it just turned out to be the perfect year. Sure, sure, very cool. Uh, throughout Black Stars Above, the the narration is done via journal entries, and and they're um, like hand hand lettered or handwritten. Certainly, is the the appearance. Um, with these sporadic segments where it's crossed out but still legible, I was wondering. Like, I really enjoyed this approach to a character's internal monologue. Uh, but I'm curious: is this is this a reflection more so of just the available writing utensils of 1887, or is there actually more to what's being crossed out than is than is maybe initially like what we would recognize? Uh, yeah, there's definitely like intention behind every word that's crossed out. Um, Part of it is, you know, it, it like you say, it's what's available. The other side of it is uh, the protagonist, Eulalie, is uh, it's the first time she's been able to write. And anyone who ever writes knows how much editing gets done. And so sort of seeing a young writer go through the process of discovering that, um, like what words work and what, don't, what doesn't um, was a big part of it. Uh, and then... A lot of words that get crossed out are either uh, tense related or um, plurals or uh, yeah. proper nouns uh, and stuff like that. So depending on the scene, words would get crossed out uh, and it, it changes over the course of the book. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to like talk about this without giving too much away because like... I don't want to like explain everything, but basically over the course of the book, the words that get crossed out come to have a uh, specific meaning uh, mm -hmm. and, and they change based on what was crossed out at the start. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that kind of it fits into, I think to your point, like not, not wanting to spoil the ending necessarily. Um, I think if we're going to definitely will warn you as, as listeners, but like throughout the work, there's this nagging sense that not as all as it seems. Right. And that there's this kind of terror lurking around the corner. Um, it's not, it's not like a, you know, kind of that horror jump scare type thing though. Right. It's very subtle. How do you collaborate with like, a your team? Cause it, I think it's Jenna Cha does like really amazing art here. Um, you have colors by, or letters by Hassan Oates, main Elloway colors by Brad Simpson. Like the whole team's really in sync. Uh, how do you coordinate that atmosphere together? Like, is that something you try to script in or is it more just conversations with the team? Um, <clears throat> it's a bit of both, but, uh, my it's different on this project because Jenna, the, the artist, she's, she's my wife. So I live with her. And so it's yeah. like, we were able to talk a lot about it. Hopefully there's some conversation um, then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, just generally um, <clears throat> my scripts tend to be very detailed uh, because I'm so focused on the two things I care about most generally in writing are uh, mood slash tone and, um, the form that a work takes, so like structure uh, in the story. And so in, a, in order to communicate those things properly to the rest of the team, my scripts have to be sort of dense because um, like in issue two, for example, where there's like the repetition of the nine panel grids and like a character moving across the grids uh, each time they appear, that's like a very deliberate choice that I'm making. So like I have to explain that to the team so that they understand why I'm doing that. Right. Um, and it was pretty early on though that like everyone knew like as soon as the first script came out as soon as they got the, the like pitch it was kind of like okay like we we understand this tone and thankfully yeah. you know jenna uh has very similar storytelling sensibilities and neither of us like 
horror that is too in your face or that's too overt or that does, you know, jump scares, uh, especially in comics. It's just like kind of um, boring for us. Mm-hmm. And so we we knew it. we wanted it to be a slow burn uh, and very strange and dreamlike. So uh, it's a combination of just being in sync with the team and then uh, me being like a very specific writer uh, and knowing what I, what I want on the page and trying to communicate that as best I can in the script. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. So that's interesting. You mentioned all that. There's one of the big reveals in, in the book in terms of the, the sense of dread is, uh, and please correct me if I get this wrong. Eloy, is that our, our main character? Um, Uh, Yeah. She discovers a, uh, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like a weird bird like creature, right? Some sort of alien creature. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And this, it's this sort of like, it, you know, what it actually reminded me of is I think there's a, a thing in Legion uh, on FX, like season two. I don't know if you've, if you've watched it, but it's this like bird comes out of an egg, just covered in tar, you know, it's like skeletal, right? It's just it, the, the visuals of it are kind of grotesque. They're kind of concerning, <laughs> but it's like, it's almost sweet. The more time we spend with this creature, right? Like it's actually yeah. like, it's not a big bad monster and, and all that. Um, you mentioned, you know, Jenna Cha is your wife here. Uh, is that in creating that design? Is that something that just comes from her head? Or are you like trying to verbalize to her? Hey, I have this visual for what this, you know, creature should look like. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm very specific about that kind of stuff. I think I gave Jenna like probably five different times. I described this thing to her. Yeah. And Jenna went through a couple different um, designs of it before I was like, that's, that's the one that feels right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, I have my reasons for why I wanted it to look the way it looked, but it's, it's, yeah, that combination of, of it being threatening and terrifying in the sense of it's something we've never seen before, but also you need to feel a, a sense of compassion for it. And it's yeah. a very difficult line to walk and it is a very difficult ask of Jenna. Um, but she's, she's so good at that, that, um, you know, she was able to pull it off. And then, uh, it was actually like originally when, when Jenna drew it in the comic, like Brad had colored it. Um, I think he colored it like green because that's sort of like, you know, when you're working in, Lovecraft territory and you have something that looks something like this, I think the tendency is just to make it green because that's what, you know, all those mon- tentacle monsters look like. Sure. Right. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. Like this thing is white. Like don't color it at yeah. all. <laughs> don't touch it. And that was a bit of, it wasn't uh, an argument, but Brad was kind of like, I don't, I don't get why you would want to do that. And I think my editor was kind of like, I don't understand why wouldn't you color something? Interesting, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what it has to be. Um, but it's pretty wild inserting like in my memory now, a green version of that creature. I know. Right. Story, Cause it changes it significantly. Totally. Like, it really does. Yeah. It's like, it's very, like you said, it's very Lovecrafting. It's very, um, you know, here's the, here's the monster. I yeah. Think, and I way. think, um, I think Brad ended up putting some like, they're almost like silvery highlights on it in some places. And then as it grows, there's a bit, uh, there's a bit of blue on it, but yeah, it, it's because it's so um, representative of the world that she's in. 
just having it colored uh, just wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, so I'm glad it, it came out the way it did. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I can totally see that. Um, there's uh, much of your comics writing prior to this point is in partnership with Zach Thompson. Uh, how do you approach writing a story differently without Zach on board? Or I guess put another way, like, or I guess, how do you determine even a story that you necessarily want to tell as as a solo act? Mm. Um, so Zach and I, when we write, it's very collaborative. We we do everything together, like sitting in the same room. We break the story together and then we write the script um, side by side. Yeah. And then I think, you know, after we'd done three or four books together, it was kind of like... Uh, Okay, you know, we Zach and I have a lot of the same sensibilities, but we also started writing um, <clears throat> before we knew each other, and so we wanted to kind of just go back a little bit to explore our own uh, our own creative minds. And so, uh, in addition to the work that we were doing together and that we continue to do together, it was kind of like a a conscious decision on our part to um, just individualize ourselves a little bit because we were getting so like oh it's Lonnie and Zach it's Lonnie and Zach yeah, right and we didn't always want to do that so um or we didn't only want to do that I guess is, is the right way to say it so anyway once we uh decided that it was kind of like what's the right story for me and then this one this is the book that feels most like me of, of any that I've done and the, the writing process for it was both like super rewarding and extremely difficult because I'd been used to having someone to bounce ideas off of and someone there to tell me if something's stupid. Um, sure. And talking things aloud is, it makes a huge difference when you can just ideate. Um, it, it just does something different in your brain when you're saying things aloud uh, than when you're just stuck inside your own head. Sure. Um, but you know that is also that sort of like madness that individual creators go through is also tantamount to the work. And I think I, um, you can tell the difference between this and something Zach and I do together. Um, and so yeah, it was just a lot of like rediscovering myself and my voice as a writer and how I'd grown over the last few years, um, and just trying to like stay true to what was what felt like me in my vision. Um, as yeah. much as I possibly could. And um, I think the most important thing I've learned over the years is like instinct and intuition is, is everything. So just making sure I was listening to that at, at every turn was was really important. Um, but like something you have to train yourself to do. Sure, yeah. And right now you're working on a Aftershock series called Undone by Blood, which is really cool new series I recommend people check out, uh, which you're writing in concert with with Zach. Is that when you go back to working with him, is it um, is it hard having having like gone your own way to then get back in the habit of collaborating, or you guys have done so much now that it's just you know it's riding a bike? Yeah, for the most part, it's pretty like uh, yeah, like you said, because we've done so much together, it's just sort of yeah. like you fall back into not old habits. It's just like it's like you know Zach's like my brother at this point, so it's like going home to visit your family or whatever, where it's just sure. you might not have seen them for. A while but once you're there it's like nothing ever changed um and zach and i have such a, a strong connection um when we're writing and when we're not writing we're just very similar people and have very similar thoughts so it's um it's just sort of like a comforting place and i think since we've both been doing work on our own when we get back to working together it's almost like a relief because we know someone's there to kind of 
excuse me, someone sort of like have our back and sure. it's not like yeah. solely on our shoulders. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Cause when I think about comics, like writing partnerships, I think one of the, one of the interesting, like Abnett and Lanning, right. Gets, gets mashed. You get the Abnett and Lanning guardians of the galaxy type thing. And mm -hmm. to the point now where I think there's a lot of comics fans who don't even realize like Dan Abnett has his own work. Andy Lanning has his, you know, that sort of thing. Is that something that you, is that something that you kind of consciously are like looking to avoid that sort of lumping? Um, or is it, I don't know, I guess like you're kind of moving that direction just with doing works on your own and then you come together and produce good comics again. Um, or is that not a, not really a concern of yours? It wasn't previously, but like, I think it, as Zach and I realized we were like only ever being discussed together, that yeah. it was something that we needed to, to change, uh, just like, we didn't want people to only think of us, yeah, as like, you know, Zach and Lonnie. I think a lot of people still do. And so it's like something we're still working on. Sure. Um, but we value individual identity. Um, and so it's it's just something that, yeah, like we, we did consciously, especially bring up people like Abnett and Lanning and like they've had a great career, but their falling out is also pretty notorious. So it's like... We yeah. just didn't ever want to get to a place where it was like we're doing books together and then all of a sudden we're not doing books together and like people could perceive that in some weird way or whatever so it's sort of like this thing we're trying to do gradually where yeah you know we're still doing books together and we still love working together but you know slowly we're branching out to do our own things um because it does feel like band breaking up you know, it's got that like, oh, something must have gone terribly wrong. They're, right. Know, the Beatles aren't together anymore, right? And, you know, we're also super conscious of like, we don't want anyone to think that. So, you know, we're always like super supportive of each other's individual work. And we talk to each other like online all the time, just so people know it's like, there's nothing <laughs> wrong between us. It's just like, we just wanted <laughs> to tell our own stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, you know, at the same time, it's like Zach and I, I think we'll be working together uh, for years to come, it's just we might not be doing three books a year together like we used to. <laughs> sure, sure, totally. You had a chance, uh, speaking of collaborations, to write uh, a major X-Men event in 2019 with Age of X-Men. Um, what was that experience like for you? Because that was, uh, you know, you guys had worked together on a cable run, which I really enjoy. Uh, is super good, like covering like the entire history of Nathan Summers. It's a, it's a fun cable series. Um, but certainly like a lot of your other work is, you know, pretty indie. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden, like you're doing the X-Men event of 2019. Not all of a sudden. I'm sure it didn't feel that way. Right. You've got a, a pedigree. Um, what? I, let me back it up. What was the experience like? Was that a huge deal for you as a, yeah. as a you know, a comics fan? Yeah, it was. It was like both like super overwhelming and exciting and frustrating. And it was everything you would imagine doing an event would be. Yeah. Um, this early in your career. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and we were very surprised when the offer came to us. Um, we'd heard like sort of through the grapevine that uh, someone, uh, a friend of ours told us like, have, um, there's an X-Men event coming. You guys are going to be involved. So just like have some like alternate universe stuff ideas ready. So we just thought, mm -hmm. you know, we were going to be given a, you know, like a mini series tie in or something. And then we, when we got the call from uh, Jordan White and, and Darren Shan, it was just kind of like, we want you guys to run the event. And we were like, 
what the fuck? Like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was like kind of a no brainer. Uh, it was just like, there was a lot um, riding on the event in terms of like, it had to tie into the Uncanny X-Men stuff. Yeah. Um, but it also couldn't go into certain territory because uh, Hickman was, everyone knew Hickman was taking over after that. So like we couldn't step on his toes um, with any ideas. Uh, and there was oddly enough, a lot of ideas Zach had that Zach and I had that were um, not dissimilar to stuff that Hickman's exploring that mm. kind of got nixed because. Um, Too close. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, it organized. Can you, can you elaborate on any of those? I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so a lot of stuff then, you know, organizing an event was also like really difficult just because, you know, Zach and I had so many rules we'd set out. And then when uh, the books are sort of out of our hands, it's hard for, it's hard to like wrangle everything um, yeah. from writers, especially who are, um, who have been doing this a lot longer than we have. Um, yeah. who have more credits to their names, you know, and the editors also. And so there was like us trying to maintain our vision while also not being, trying not to be those assholes who think they come in and can call all of the shots and that their word is God, you know? Sure. Um, and that took, that took up like almost a year of mine and Zach's life. Um, and there were, the thing with big two comics, I don't think a lot of people realize is like the amount of things that can go wrong. And when something, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. It's just like Murphy's law, yeah. like encapsulated in an art form. Um, so just like, you know, artist changes and colorist changes and then certain teams wanting to do certain things with certain characters and having to move characters into different books and stuff like that. So it was just a lot of stuff behind the scenes that like made the, the storytelling process like harder than I think we would have liked. But at the end of the day, it, it just made us appreciate events more. And like looking back to the events we, we love, it's kind of like, Oh my God, like the fact that, you know, they were able to pull this off so flawlessly is, is incredible. Um, sure. Yeah. And it's also like, yeah, I don't know. It's just an eye-opening experience in one that like I'm, I feel fortunate to have had. Um, yeah, do you so think I it's like, something? Do you think it's something you would want to return to, having had the experience, e even if not necessarily running the show like that? Like, even just for example, like big two work on major characters, right? And just kind of that that level of attention and all eyes on you. Is that something like? You're like, man, I've been through it and it's a lot. Would you, would you want to do it again? Uh, I definitely would. I would just, um, I'd want to do it a bit more on my own terms, I guess. Sure. Uh, so like, I think I'd just be more specific about what I was tackling um, and the way I wanted to do it. Uh, yeah. Was one like big thing I've realized in the last like few years is just like, you know, trying to stay true to yourself and, and your vision and, and stuff like that. So yeah. um, I would definitely do it again. And there's plenty of characters that I want to write. Um, and like plenty of characters I pitched on and stuff like that. So yeah, it's definitely very much something that's still like on the horizon. Sure. Sure. Cool. How do you, so you mentioned like being true to yourself and black stars above being this work that is 
it's like probably the most reflection of of where you see yourself as a writer currently can you elaborate a little on like what kind of what that means to you in terms of like how you've improved as a writer you know because you've gotten like i said like you've released a lot of a lot of works over the last you know handful of years um like the drags and black mask stands out you know definitely and um yeah, like it's you know a good like resume you built up what are the things that you look back now and you're like oh i'm i'm much better at x i'm much better at this piece of it, it it's so it's such funny timing i actually just two days ago went and found um the first short stories i wrote from like 10 years ago that i i used to post on this writing blog Sure. And I like wanted to see if they were still there and they were still there. And I read them and just like, so cringy. It was like <laughs> the most embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing thing. Yeah. Um, but it was also sort of like heartwarming because I was able to see just how much I have grown. Sure. And yeah. it was just a lot of, a lot of things like, um, like pacing and mood and being able to communicate information without just saying it outright um, mm. without doing exposition without just explaining everything um, so that's like a big thing and my dialogue is like it's crazy how bad my dialogue used to be <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that like now if I read dialogue like that I'm like this is bullshit and then like I read my <laughs> old work and I was like damn that was also bullshit um, <laughs> And then I think just my sense for storytelling, and like I was talking about earlier, um, this idea of listening to intuition is something that you have to train yourself to do. Because even back then, it's this, um, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around, but it's this idea of like, you you recognize where you want to be, like you have a certain taste and you know what you like, and then you do the thing and it's not that. It's mm -hmm. like just the worst version of what you want to accomplish. Yeah. And so stepping closer to what you want to accomplish is A, just a matter of doing it and practicing and learning these like little technical skills, but also a matter of, of listening to your intuition. And that's in every regard, it's just this little voice that if it, everyone has it, it, it tells you like something's off, you know? And that can be, I think when you start, it's like, the big picture is off and you don't have the skill to be able to pick things apart. Yeah. But as you do it more, uh, that voice of intuition will say like, Oh, this line of dialogue is just reading weird. Mm -hmm. And the training comes in to like be able to stop and recognize that that voice is happening and to then correct the thing that's not feeling right. And whether that's a line of dialogue or a major plot point, it's it's always there and you just sort of have to attune yourself to it and, and be open to it. And sometimes it sucks to have to change things. I've changed, I've rewritten entire issues just because that voice inside my head was like, this just isn't right. Um, yeah. So that's like, that was a big thing. I think that's changed in my writing over the last few years. And something that even now I can tell like, even the dregs, which I'm still like super proud of, I can go back and uh, I was actually just looking at it today for uh, for something. And uh, while I still love the story, I can like look at things and be like, oh, I know even then I didn't like that I did this, but I didn't know another way to do it. Yeah. So I just like did whatever I could with, sure. with the story. Um, and not that, you know, my work is perfect now, but it's like everything I do, I think I get closer and closer to um, the stuff that, I want to be creating. 
Very cool. Very cool. What's um like? What are the the comics or the the creators that are like major influences on on your work currently? Um, I mean, this is sort of cliche, and like I used to feel bad about it because it was like so so horribly cliche. But um, I don't care anymore because <laughs> it's like it's just what it is. And as soon as I say it, people will be like, "Oh yeah, of course." Um, but like Alan Moore's work is like yeah it's hugely inspiring to me. Um, and it always has been, you know, from when I was like a teenager, but I recognize things in it now that I wasn't able to in the past, just in terms of like his story structure and the way he tells a story that I'm yeah. just in awe of. And that dedication to his craft is something I really aspire to. Um, so, you know, it, it's always going to be Alan Moore's like my number one comics guy, Neil Gaiman, of course, I'm a big fan of, Sandman. Uh, I love Charles Burns. Um, a lot of those more indie guys um, like that. Uh, Junji Ito, I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, most recently, the book that's probably like of recent work that's inspired me most is a book called Sabrina that was uh, published by Drawn and Quarterly, I think, by yeah. Nick, Nick Drasno. I don't know how to say his last name. I'm gonna let you say it so I don't have to mispronounce it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, have, I have the same problem. Yeah. Yeah, that book, man. That that Great book, book really. Um, yes. It sparked something in me, um, and uh, I've also really been in love with uh, Eddie Campbell's solo work recently. Like I, I mm -hmm. found him obviously through from through uh, from from hell, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I recently started looking into. Um, the stuff that he wrote himself that he drew and um, <clears throat> I'm making my way Bacchus through or are you doing Bacchus right now. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, and Bacchus is so good. And um, uh, I'm going to pick up um, Alec also because it yeah. looks amazing. Um, and so those, those kind of guys who like, they, you can just tell they love comics, but they don't love necessarily like superhero stuff. Um, sure. There's just so much richness in our work and care in the craft. So, in terms of like comic book influences, those are the big ones right now. Yeah, yeah, no, those are all good picks. Um, kind of a, a peripheral question, but what's a what's a comic coming out right now that you uh, or recently that you think more people should read? Uh, oh man, there's a lot. Um, I think more people should read Coffin Bound. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Dan Waters, and the artist is Danny. Uh, and Brad Simpson, who colored Black Stars Above, is coloring that. Um, and I think Hassan is lettering that too, actually. Um, I could be wrong. Anyway, but that book... like 40% of uh, yeah. the these days. <laughs> uh, that book is, is incredible, and it's so bizarre. Uh, and it's the type of comic that I love both as a reader and as a creator. Um, Dan he just like you know he gets me uh, you know what i mean like it's like i feel like his stuff is made for me um yeah so i love that um ice cream man is amazing there's a lot of people reading it but i think more people should read it it's like you know it's big in the horror community but i think outside of that sure. it's like hasn't really found a massive audience even though i i would uh i wouldn't completely qualify it as just a horror book uh, and i don't yeah. think the team yeah. would either um, <clears throat> uh, Little Bird, which I guess, you know, now it's been nominated for an Eisner, but 
Uh, I think yeah. more people should read that. I know a lot of people have, but it's um, Ian's work on it is amazing. And Darcy is probably the best writer to come to comics in a few years. Um, and I've seen the new stuff that he's working on um, and, and the new book that he's doing with uh, with Ian. And that book's going to just destroy people. <laughs> yeah, so, it looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are like three three big ones I, I would keep recommending to people. Great picks. Great picks. All right. Before, uh, before we talk like other works you got going on and things you want to plug, um, final question on black stars above is for somebody who hasn't given it a chance, um, and, and is listening to this conversation is somehow still on the fence. <laughs> what would you tell them, uh, in terms of like, like, this is like, this is what this book means to me. And like, what do you hope people get out of it? Um, I think it's for people, I think if you're someone who reads comics and you're a bit disillusioned with just, you know, the the general comics fair and you're not super into Marvel and DC um, and you want some, or even if you are and you just want something that's a little bit different, that's a little bit more like, you know, independent cinema and stuff like that, then that's what um, I've tried to do with Black Stars Above. And there's a quote um, from... Friends Kafka that I think about a lot. Um, that's about you know like the work, the art we consume should be more than just entertainment. And he says uh, fiction and stories should act like the axe to the frozen sea within us. Um, and that was something I tried to keep in mind a lot when writing Black Stars Above. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the easiest read, um, and it's dense and it takes a while. But I, I hope. For all the things I put in it, it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit of a richer read than um, some other books that you're sure. currently reading. Yeah, perfect. All right, cool. What else? I mentioned Undone by Blood, which you guys have coming out currently. Um, what else do you have on kind of Horizon or, or books coming out currently that you would like uh, people to check out? Yeah, so those are the, the two big ones right now. Um, <clears throat> I have a lot of stuff sort of percolating on the back burner that like hasn't been announced yet but sure. um i'm currently zach and i are currently working on a new book with uh, peter kowalski who drew come into me for us um yeah at black mask which is a uh, that book like like earwormed into my brain for days <laughs> good. About it a long time yeah uh so the three of us are collaborating again uh on a book, um, it's a ways away from being made, but uh, it's all been outlined and we're starting to write it. Um, cool. There's also something that Jenna and I are working on um, right now uh, that also hasn't been announced. So I unfortunately have to be very vague about it. <laughs> no, no, I get it, yeah. And then my, <clears throat> my big project that I've been working on is a, a graphic novel uh, that hasn't been announced either, uh, but I can say a little bit about it. It's a it's a contemporary gothic horror story, and if you liked Black Stars Above, you'll probably like this. It's sure. uh, it's pretty weird, um, but it's my version of a ghost story, I guess. Uh, okay, yeah, is the easiest way to say it. Uh, but it's you know inspired by a lot of things that Black Stars Above was inspired by, but. Um, more so like the gothic side of the horror tradition than the cosmic side uh, yeah. this time. 
so I hope that I can announce that somewhat soon. I've been working on that for like over a year already. Yeah. It'll probably be another year uh, that I'm writing it. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks so much, Lonnie, for taking the time to talk comics. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, loop you in when this is coming out and all that fun stuff. But thanks so much for talking to us. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for having me and for reading and supporting. It really means a lot. Yeah.